Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. Now, if you had your Bible with you and you want to turn to our scripture reading, you've turn the book of Deuteronomy, second chapter, or as it is in the revised the translation or the modern translation, you begin the first chapter with the 46th verse, and this is the way that the scripture reads. Then, after we had stayed at Kadesh for a long time, we finally turned and went into the <laughs> desert on the road to the Gulf of Aqaba. As the Lord had commanded, and we spent a long time wandering about in the hill country of Edom. Uh, then the Lord told me that we had spent enough time wandering about in those hills and that we should go north. He told me to give you the following instruction. You are about to go through the hill country of Edom, the territory of your descendants, your distant relatives, the descendants of Esau. They will be afraid of you, but you must not start a war with them because I am not going to give you so much as a square foot of their land. I have given Edom uh, to Esau's descendants. You can buy your food and water from them. Remember how the Lord your God has blessed you and everything that you have done. He has taken care of you as you wandered through this vast desert. He has been with you these 40 years and you have had everything you needed. Lord, help us to understand what you're trying to tell us this morning. And if you will keep in mind uh, this verse, where the seer is able to hear and to understand what God is saying to, to his people, and he is saying, in effect, that you have wandered in these foothills long enough, it is time for you now to turn, to turn north. And to turn north was to head, of course, toward the promised land. I was thinking this past week of a friend of mine that I have known these past 10 or 15 years. I lose track of time. But this fellow is a very capable man. And his field, I guess, he uh, is equal to any person anywhere, any place. He's a chef. And I can vouch for his ability and capability as being an excellent chef. But this character, though he has this ability and capability and a personality like you wouldn't believe, he wanders all over this country of ours and even into Canada. And about four times a year, I get a telephone call from him. He checks in. And it's usually from a different state and a different town. And one time I asked Bill, I said, Bill, why is it? that you wander around like this and you don't settle down and get on with the business of really being productive and living. And he said, Preacher, if I was going to amount to anything, he said, I would have amounted to something a long time ago. And so he's still wondering. I think he's somewhere, the last call I got, he's somewhere in Ohio. I won't hear from him now until he makes it to another town, I'm quite sure. But here is a situation with God's people. If you pick up the story as it's really told, you know in Deuteronomy, the man is looking back now at history because all this took place during the Exodus, you see, when the people of God were leaving Egypt and headed toward the Promised Land. And so 
He's looking back now after something has already happened, and he looks at it and rehearsing it within the ears of these people uh, that God had chosen in order that they might be able to fulfill their destiny as God had called them, just as he calls you and me as individuals and as a church today. And so he tells them what happened. Well, we remember the story so well. We remember that when they left Egypt, they went uh, and to the wilderness and made it up to the, to the promised land and got right on the border. And you remember that they chose 12 men to go as spies into the land of promise. And, and so they went over and 10 of the men came back and made the right report. They said, well, the thing just flows with milk and honey. And, and you've seen pictures of this great bunch of grapes that took two men to carry. And, and one of them spoke up and says, yeah, the land is filled with giants, filled with giants. And we're as grasshoppers in their sight. Now, that's an interesting psychological connotation there that a man would think that in the sight of another man that he's a grasshopper. But anyway, the land is filled with giants. Now, that was right. It was true. But the conclusion that they drew from this, and ten of them said, we can't take the land. We can't do it. And only two men said, yes, we can. Oh, yes, we can. Well, you remember what a failure they were. It was just a disaster. Uh, they turned back into the wilderness, and for 40 years they wandered around in the wilderness with the all of these plagues and snakes and rebellion and all the things that would go on uh, within a situation like that where they had lost sight of uh, where they were supposed to be to start with. And this whole generation died off but two people, the two that brought back a good report from the land that they could take it. One of them was named Caleb. Uh, they lived on. But the rest of them, uh, they all died off for 40 years. They wandered here in this wilderness. At last, they found a nice, comfortable place at the foot of Mount Seir. It must have been a beautiful place to camp and to do whatever the families do and did back then. It must have been beautiful valleys filled with grass and, and fresh water for their animals and their livestock. And they must have had plenty to eat and just everything was beautiful and wonderful. And here after 40 years is where the Lord finds them. Now they wandered for 40 years. You know, there's something tragic about that situation regardless of how beautiful the grassland was and how fresh the water was, and regardless of how beautiful everything else was and how comfortable they were, something sad about it. Because, you see, they were not where God wanted them to be. Now, dear friends, let me say to you that somewhere within this scripture and what God is saying and what this man was able to see is wisdom. And I don't say that I have it, but I know that it's couched here. Somewhere in the midst of what I am saying this morning and what this writer is saying and what he does say is wisdom. Now, there's a difference between wisdom and education, accumulation of facts and figures. And you look on the wall in there and you can see years ago that I accumulated a certain amount of facts and figures that would tell me that I could graduate from a college and from seminary, from graduate school. But there's a difference between the accumulation of this type of stuff and wisdom. And I want you to know this morning, I'm not sure I still have wisdom, but I was a long ways from it back then. Now, you see, sometimes we're, we're misled uh, in thinking because we have accumulated uh, what this world happens to say is a certain amount of facts and figures and able to simulate them and put them together and make some rational uh, decision in relation to them that, uh, that uh, you're wise. Well, that's not so. That is not so. And you see, the lack of a formal education won't keep you from wisdom either. Because you see, I have lived long enough to know, and in my travel of life, uh, some of the 
isn't this interesting, an interesting statement that I'm going to make now? Some of the people that I have met in life that I have considered to be men and women with wisdom, I'm thinking about some of them, and they only had an eighth grade education. I'm thinking about a man here within this city that one time, he retired long ago, went to Florida, now the Lord has called him on, and he was a dropout in high school. Uh, but he went on to have his own business, and I thought of that man as being a very wise man. Somewhere within what I'm saying here is wisdom, if we can lay hold of it and, and assimilate it and, and make it part of our very own. Because you see, there's a message here for each one of us and for us as a church today. You see, there's one thing that the people of God cannot afford to do. And whether it be a church or you as an individual, you cannot afford to drift and to just move back and forth in this life from one place to another without any real sense of direction. The thing that the church needs today more than anything else is a sense of direction. The uncertainty of this world. Now there's things that happen to us. It seems like the wheels of history turn and they have turned full cycle and they come again to the place uh, where the church has an opportunity uh, likes of which it hasn't had for, for, for many, many generations. And the reason we do have it is because of the uncertainty of the world today. It's around the world. It's not just within this country. The whole world is sort of in a state of movement where men and women are searching, nations are searching, people are searching. And in this type of a situation, we have an opportunity for boldness like you wouldn't believe. But it would only be a fool who would act without knowledge. The wise person is one who acts with knowledge and understanding who he is and what he is and what his destination happens to be and how he's going to get there. Did I tell you about these two young men uh, that I knew were going from Louisville to California? And they were telling me that they were going a few days before they went, and I looked at the old car that they were driving, and I said to the one that owned the old heap, I said, do you think this thing is going to get you to California? He says, it might. It might not. I said, well, what are you going to do about it then? He says, well, we're going to drive this thing as far as it goes. When it breaks down, we're just going to walk away and leave it. I said, you must be joking. He says, I'm not joking at all. I said, do you mean to tell me that you're going to leave this thing just wherever it breaks down beside the road? You're just going to walk away and, and leave it right there? He says, that's exactly what we're going to do. And you know, I begin to think about that. How many of the things that we have in life, we... We get hooked on it in such a way that you're thinking that we think the way we act, that we're trying, if these young men, see, he, this young person was not trying to get that car to California. He wanted to, but not his car, necessarily. His getting to California did not depend upon that car. Now, isn't that interesting? Borders on wisdom, doesn't it? How much of this world do we try to drag along with us to our destination? You would think that we want to drag it along, that this is the thing that is more important than our soul. See, now, this writer is trying to tell us something here about the call of God and about uh, our uh, future place to be. Now, of course, not all wandering is bad, that's for sure. It's a time that God has given to us in which we can look the situation over and, and try to get ourselves together to do what we ought to do. That's precisely what God did with his people of long ago when they failed him. And when they failed themselves, you see. 
He gave them 40 years to get their thinking back together again and to cast off the slave thinking that they had and begin to think in terms of the wonderful possibilities that they had with God and what they could do. What they could do regardless of how impossible the situation seemingly was. So impossible that 10 of the 12 people said it was an impossibility. Well, it wasn't an impossibility. Time of preparation when we can make our plans. It's a dangerous thing to wander around in life and lose sight of your destination. You know, my heart always responds when I read that story in Exodus uh, where it talks about the, the spies that went out and talks about old Caleb. He was one of the men that lived on, you know, when the other generation died off. There's only two of them, Aaron and Caleb. Well, you remember that when they got back to the promised land and was ready to cross into it, it was old Caleb that came to the leaders and said to them, said, now I want you to give me, this is 40 years later, you see, I want you to give me that city out there that is inhabited by the giants. I want that town. That's going to be mine. He said, these 40 years I have kept my spear and I've kept my shield shined and I am just as much a fighting soldier today as I was 40 years ago. Here is a man speaking that has not lost sight of his destination. He knew that that's where God wanted him. And his soul would never be at ease until at last he was in that place where God wanted him to be. Well, it's not easy to start, I tell you, especially when you have all the comforts in the world. And the grass is green, the cattle are fat, and so forth and so on. It's just a hard thing to just to take up mentally, emotionally, and move in the direction that God would want you to move. It calls for a decision. And one of the most difficult things for us to make today is a decision. You know, I really truly believe it's harder today for the church to make a decision than it was when I was a young preacher. I don't think we had as much of a problem, a difficulty making a decision as we do today. Now, if there's anything that scares me to death is for the church to make a decision over something important without debating the situation. You know, they just, just do it. Well, that bothers me. I'd rather for something to be debated and lose uh, than not to be debated and passed. But it's hard for us uh, to make a decision. It takes a decision for us to move in the direction that we ought to move. It calls for sacrifice. It calls for giving up some of our comfort, our time, our money. It calls for sweat and tears and all the other frustration that goes along with doing something tremendous in the sight of God. And I wonder, dear friends, if you had been there that day, now that uh, the one that gave them the word of God, I think it must have been in the morning, before 9 o'clock. Maybe most of them were up at that time. Well, anyway, I think it was in the morning. And so the prophet came and said, now it's time, the Lord says it's time for us to stop wandering around here, and it's time for us to head toward the promised land. Uh, now, if you'd have been there that morning, how would you have voted? How would you have voted? Is that guy out of his mind? Why, well, we haven't had it so well. But you know the thing that really blows my mind and that the writer doesn't tell us that they had a bad time over it. They just packed up bag and baggage, tore their tents down, packed up their equipment, got their animals together, and headed north. Now that is astounding. Why did they move? Oh, why ought we do what uh, we should do? Why did they strike their tents and round up their stock and gather up their kids and head north for the sake of their children? Oh, sure. 
for the sake of their children and their children's children. Dear friends, let me say to you, if we're only interested in what we have right at this moment, somewhere or another we have missed the call of God. We always prepare. It has always been God's people's decision, you see. It's always been God's calling that we who are dust today prepare for those who come on after us. That's right. Way back here. Why go to the promised land? For the sake of our children. For them to fulfill their place and the calling of God. You see, it doesn't make any difference what you have, dear friends, whether how wonderful it is, how beautiful it is, how easy it is, how comfortable it is. If you are in the place where God doesn't want you to be, there'll be no peace. There'll be no peace. can never be. Oh, it can never be that way. It can never be that way. The calling of God was the only thing wrong with those people being there at the foot of Mount Seir. That was a beautiful place, a wonderful place, I'm sure. The only thing wrong with it was this, that it was not where God wanted them to be, period. That's it. Because God had given to them the promised land, and there's where he wanted them to be. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we were faithful to our cause and to reach our destination as a frozen droplet of water? It was snowing this morning when I came to church, and I thought it was going to be 10 foot deep the way it was carrying on out there. Well, anyway, there was a drop of water frozen and a snowflake. But as soon as the sun comes out and warms it up to where it melts, that drop of water only has one thing in its mind, or whatever it has, and that is to make its way back to the main body of water, to the sea. Oh, it can be trapped, you can hold it, but as soon as you turn it loose, it hasn't lost its sense of direction. It knows that somehow, some way, everything depends upon it making its way back to the great body of water from which it came. Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if your soul and mine was anchored to the Lord Jesus Christ in that way? Wherever we are delayed, and we have no power over but as soon as we're turned loose, and it's within our power that we begin to make it back toward the one uh, that created us and called us into existence. What does it mean to stop wandering and head north? I really don't know for you, and sometimes I don't know for the church. What does it mean? Perhaps it might mean that you ought to give your heart and your soul to the Lord Jesus Christ. If there's one here this morning that has not, maybe that's what heading north means. You've wandered around long enough without a Savior, without a Lord. Now it's time. It might mean to some of the rest of us to join church, just to stop loafing around. It might mean to some others to head north to be more faithful in your church attendance. Or it could be that you be a more and a greater steward in God's kingdom. Or it could mean that you are to make a more perfect witness of your Savior and Lord and to the saving quality of your Lord, to those you work with and live with, wherever you are, to head north. You've wondered long enough. What does it really mean? Well, you know more perfectly than I do what it means because God is talking to you in a very special way. It means, though, that we are to do something that will bring us to the fulfillment of God and his kingdom. Oh, the way may be hard, may be difficult, it may be filled with snakes and giants, 
and a desert and all these other things. But that's the way that it is. And if it's between us and where we're supposed to be, we're supposed to head in that direction regardless of what the cost might be. Now, for many years as a child, I remember a place where we lived. I can never forget it. But you turned off the main road and you went down what we call the old lane for about a mile before you finally came to where we lived, our home. And in the wintertime, this time of the year, it was almost impassable. You know, you just had to walk over because it was either frozen with ruts and gullies and mud holes and everything else in it. And in the summertime, it was dusty and hot and rocky and so forth and so on and so on. And we used to have a lot of people from a place they call the city, and they used to come out and see us, country folk. And I remember meeting them out at the road, and every one of them complained about the old lane. That was the worst road that they had ever seen, probably was, to tell you the truth. It was just a terrible place, you know, just a terrible road. Oh, maybe two or three times a year it was a very nice place. But most of the time it was just a bumpy, terrible thing to negotiate. But you know, I never felt that way about the old lane. And the reason I didn't feel that way about the old lane, you know, it made an impression on me that they griped about it so. And I thought they shouldn't do that. And the reason that it wasn't so bad to me is because that was the only road that I could take that would lead home. That's the only road. That's the only road. I didn't have any other. And so in that sense, if I was out a long ways, maybe five miles away, and that was a long ways, and make it back to that place, I knew that when I turned in that direction down the old lane, that was almost home. I was headed home. This is what this writer is saying to us, to the church, and to you who make up God's people. It doesn't make any difference the condition of the road and how hard and how difficult it may be, but let us understand that it's the only road that leads home. And in that sense, it is a beautiful road. And God has called us to take that road. It's time for you to stop wandering around, he says. You've been around these foothills long enough, and now it's time for you to head north. And so it is. Our Father... Help us then to understand what we hear and what we read so that we be able to make it a part of our life and grow in relation to our understanding. For we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of his words, finishing the work he started in making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven. 